0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. We're going to be talking about the same passage that the uh, children are learning this morning downstairs, uh, Romans 8. So if you have a Bible, please bring it, or open it, please bring it and please open it. Uh, we're talking about the, the children of God and what that means, what it means to be a child of God. It's a tremendous passage of Scripture. But I was reading through this, and I it's probably one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, you know, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Uh, it's just one of those verses and chapters that just fills you up with a, a appreciation for all that the Lord has done. And, and, you know, as you read through, you you think about being a child of God or what it means to be a child of God, and, and, and I was thinking about what defines us and, you know, what defines you. Um, and maybe the first thing that defines you is your face. Do you like your face? Chris is like, <laughs> it's your face, right? You better like your face. I hope you like your face. Um, you know, your face when you're young is smooth and lots of rosy color. And, and then when you get older, it gets kind of wrinkled up and spots on it. And it's just, But it's your face. It's your face. I look at my face and I see a young man. I really do. I, I don't see. You know, I, I walked in this morning and I had these new glasses on and a leather jacket on. And, and, and Nick said, hey, you look like some producer from, from the 70s. I said, that's 50 years ago. <laughs> so we don't quite see ourselves the way others see us. Um, but that's one thing that really defines you, is your face. I hope you like your face. I hope you're comfortable with, with that. But that's not all. You, your family certainly defines you. Um, you have friends, and they define you. Though it's interesting about friends, because when you're young, you think friends are everything. When you get older, you find that friends are few. And a lot of the friends you had when you grew up with, you, have ne- you never see again. All those friends you made at university and you thought you'd stay close forever, and they're just gone. Uh, So friends kind of come and go, and, you know, a family's forever. Uh, Face kind of is forever, too, but it sort of comes and goes. Uh, Maybe your hopes and your dreams define you, you know, what you're going to do, what you plan to do, what you've you've dreamt to do, and, and, and that might define you. But it's just those things aren't deep enough, you know? They're just not strong enough because... Uh, they're not really intrinsic to who we really are as human beings. Uh, our culture today has a real confusion going on about what it, is, it even is to be a human being, what it is to be a man or a woman. They're uh, really confused. And and when you get off a, uh, a moral foundation, then it's a slippery slope because you don't know which way to go and you don't know what truth is anymore. Um, so knowing who you are is sort of the same thing as having a moral compass in a way and, and I think there's a lot of value in having some kind of moral compass. I, what you find with politicians today is it's just not much... There's no kind of true north. You know, it's more like situation ethics. It's, it's like whatever goes today, that's what's on for today. And, um, you know, I was listening to something this week and I was talking about ethics and the ethics of data management. And, you know, how do people choose ethics if they don't have any moral foundation? The ethics become situational and up to you. And... Uh, I don't like that. I think that's a lousy way uh, for people to operate. But if you have a definition of who you are that's deeper than your face and deeper than your success and deeper than your failures um, and deeper than uh, what the world says about you, then I think you've uh, you've got a strong sense of who you are. And that's really what Romans 8 is all about. And I've titled this message, In His Grip. You got a good grip? I'll tell you who's got a good grip. Dave Jackson. You shake Dave Jackson's hand, and you immediately want to get your hand back because he likes to kind of mess with your head and squeeze a little harder. He's got a really strong grip for an old guy. <laughs> I can say that because, you know, we're in the same club. So in his grip, that's kind of what I think this chapter is about. And, and maybe it's, it also calls for us to get a real good grip. On Jesus, I was thinking of this uh, verse out of, uh, out of uh, one of the pastoral epistles this week. Uh, lay hold of eternal life. And, and, and that means to get a grip on eternal life. So that's what we're going to look at here today. So let's look at chapter 12, kind of broke it up into three sections. Uh, there's a lot in here. Can't cover it all, but we'll, uh, we'll kind of scoot through. Verse 12 of Romans 8. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation. But it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For you, if, if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. That's worth a whole message right there, but just to look at a. A couple of things, and, and and there's three things that stick out to me about this passage, and, and one is that the Spirit is our power. The, the Spirit empowers us, and empowers us to live according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh. So we're, we're, we're under an obligation as believers to live for God, you know, that we're bought with a price and we're not our own, and we have an obligation not to live according to the flesh. The, the word flesh in the Bible or the, the understanding of it is simply the old nature, the, the sinful human nature, the, the human nature that just kind of makes us stumble and, and, and step into things and, and get kind of bound up in things and get slaved to things and fearful of things. It, it's just this unsuccessful uh, aspect of, of our human nature. that We just can't seem to help ourselves fail and make mistakes, just sin. Um. Everybody's got one. When you are uh, without, the Bible says when we, you're without the Lord, um, you have a, a human nature, a sinful nature, and you are bent to follow that nature. And if, if something doesn't correct that, if you don't get forgiven and get a new nature, then you're going to live in your sin, and you're going to die in your sin, and you'll go to hell in your sin. And God didn't want that, and so he sent his son to die on the cross. And, and the whole thing, like Jesus talked about being born again, we talked about being transformed, we talk about having a new nature. It's all about the Holy Spirit coming into a, a person who's asked the Lord for salvation. And there's some kind of mysterious transaction that takes place when we cry out to, to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, save me, a sinner. And if we're sincere and we're believing then uh, things happen. One of the things that happen is the Spirit of God enters in. And so then you become a person that has an identity not rooted in sin, but an identity rooted in being a child of God. The difficulty with that is that you still have to deal with this human nature. And, and the Bible describes it in Romans 7 as, as kind of being, and that's why we use the word flesh, kind of, it's kind of tied up in the body. Like, you've got certain habits that uh, are physical habits and physical longings and passions and lusts and problems that it's just not easy to overcome. Um, maybe you bite your nails. How many of you bite your nails? You know, I bit my nails well into my 30s. Like, just ridiculous, right? And, and uh, <laughs> I can remember when I was, like, 20, and I had chewed off one of my nails, and a friend of mine said, what's that? And I who did that? And I said, I don't know. <laughs> like I didn't do that. I somebody else chewing my nail. But it was just one of those habits. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. And I remember being at mom's one day, I was probably like 35, and she said, no, oh, you finally stopped biting your nails. It was a big day. Um, it's just one of those things. If Sometimes you just get stuck in these kind of foolish, silly habits, and you can't break them. And that's part of the old nature. It just kind of wants what it wants. Uh, I have another habit of, of, of candy. Man, I have a hard time staying away from candy. Uh, and you probably, some of you do. How many of you have a hard time staying away from sweets? Like almost all of us, right? So yesterday I go to, uh, we're on the way home from our pastor and wives retreat in, in, in Moncton, which is uh, a real blessing. Uh, this, the three pastors and our three wives went with about 40-some other uh, pastors and wives from the Maritimes. We had a great time. So anyway, we're coming back. we go into to Sackville, and I always stop at Sackville for a coffee at the, uh, the uh, cafe there, and, and, and I'm looking for something to eat. And, and we went to the cookie cutter, and they were all sold out of ginger snaps. So I'm, I'm getting coffee, and, and there's these great big fat chocolate macaroons. Now, people don't make macaroons little anymore. Like, this thing was massive, like the size of a hockey puck with a top on it, you know? And, and by the time I got home, I had eaten the whole thing. I probably had, like, you know, two cups of sugar in it. Like, I just can't help it. You know what I mean, don't you, Laura? Laura's always putting stuff like that on Facebook. Um, and, and so we have this struggle. That's what Romans 7 all about. It's like the flesh wants this. I wanted that candy. In my, in my, but my spirit's saying, Doug, you've had enough candy. try to get away from it. try to go a day without Katie, can you, and and, and so there's this kind of war on, right, and and often it's about a lot more serious things than that, you know, like uh, for young people, you know, it's about what you're going to do with your sexuality, that's big, it's as big as it gets, and you have physical desires and you have the world calling out to you and and, and people putting pressure on you. And you have to decide, am I going to listen to the flesh or am I going to listen to the spirit? It's the, one of the biggest deals. It's one of the biggest decisions you'll ever make in your whole life. And it'll affect your whole life too. So it's a, it's a, big, it's a big thing. But the Bible says that we are uh, empowered by the spirit. It says if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. In other words... Sin always brings death, and you can always maybe remember this that if you choose to sin, you can be sure there 's going to be some kind of death attached to it, some kind of destructive element, something that 's going to not be good but it 's going to be evil, something that's it 's just not kind of innocuous and simple it 's going to lead to death in some way, maybe not you know your own death, but something that will die in you for instance if you if um, you know when when children have uh, sex before marriage you 're giving something something is dying that you'll never get back, right? Sometimes when you lash out at people and you say hurtful words, they're out there and you'll never get them back. And, and, and hurtful words can bring death and, and into people's lives. And, and, and he's saying here, uh, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. So how do you put to death something? What is he talking about here? I think what he's talking about is that you just simply say, I don't need that. You just separate yourself from that. You can say, I don't need to be ruled like that. I can choose what God wants, and I don't have to choose what God says isn't good for me. I have an active choice there. If you start off young enough and start choosing right enough, you'll start building up better habits. Uh, Some of us, you know, I was like 27 when I came to the Lord. I had a lot of bad decisions and bad habits already begun. And that's why it's so important when you're young to, to do the right thing. Um, there's been a lot of talk about, uh, um, you know, drugs and, and legalizing pot and, and, you know, uh, all these campaigns directed at young people to, you know, something to just say no was one, and then, uh, or abstinence when it comes to sexuality. And, and, and uh, this uh, uh, person was talking about this and was saying that it just doesn't work anymore. You just can't tell kids to say no. Well, the reason one of the reasons it doesn't work anymore because nobody says no about anything. There's no no in our world. You just say everything's yeah. You do whatever you want. There's no kind of no. There's no kind of foundation. There's no kind of root. And uh, you know, um, for a lot of kids, you should you know, when it comes to pot, I would just say you just ought to say no because you don't know what it's going to do to your brain, and you don't know if you're going to be one of the 20 uh, percent that are going to have a real struggle mentally with drugs that it might lead you down a road that will end up in your destruction and believe me those of us who have had family members that have experienced that you don't want that you don't want it for yourself you don't want it for people that you love um, and so you know you're going to say yes or no right it's no kind of like oh i might you know maybe i'll just put it in my mouth but i won't breathe in you know like at some point, you've got to say no. And you have the power to do that. It's not like you're some kind of slave that's just going to be drug along, and you can't help it, and people are going to talk you into it. you can stand alone, maybe, and you can say, no, I'm not doing that because uh, the Lord wants me to live another way. And that's what it is to put to death the misdeeds of the body. You just say, that, I'm dead to that. I don't need that. And I think that goes for any age. You know, maybe, uh, you know, a lot, of, a lot of guys struggle with pornography. And, um, you know, it can ruin your life. It can poison your relationships, poison your brain. What are you, you going to do that? Well, eventually you've got to say no to it. You've got to close the book. You've got to close the website. You've got to do something. You've got to say no to it, and you've got to keep saying no to it, and you probably have to become accountable with somebody else so they can ask you, are you still saying no to it? And you've got to distance yourself from it. And the more that you say no to something, and the farther away you get, the, the easier it is to say yes to something better. And that's what God's Spirit wants to do in you and wants to develop in you. Look, we've got resources. Um, you know... It's, you know, Paul described it as the, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in, in our hearts as children of God. Uh, you know, I think maybe we need to think about that in terms of power, dynamite power, power power that can, you know, explode things and blow things up and radically change things. We ought to be thinking of, in terms of that when it comes to the spirit of God, not some kind of soft little dove that's flying around. Like, there's a power A power that can change your life. And that's how God wants us to live. Um, Second thing here, the spirit empowers. The the spirit leads us. I love this verse. Those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. God, you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but received the spirit of sonship. You know, a lot of us have a lot of fear going on. It's like fear has a kind of a root in us. And uh, the Bible describes it as originating with the fear of death. Um, and it's kind of one of those silent fears that, that runs your whole life. It, uh, and you may not even think about it. You might think, I don't know, afraid of death at all. But there's always something gnawing away. And and the Bible says it's kind of the sum of all fears. Uh, and that's where the evil one Loves to work. You know, God, uh, the devil loves to work with fear. And you could, you know, maybe it's worry or anxiety or dread or phobia. All kinds of ways that it can be manifested. Fear of the future. Fear of being found out. Fear of, you know, uh, of um, uh, uh, being in in front of people. All kinds of fears. Um, Bible says perfect love casts out fear. God does not want us to live like that. I lived like that for a long time. Uh, when I was in uh, university and I had to give a, uh, a presentation in English Lit, like I was up all night. I was sick. And I get in there and I bombed. Like I couldn't even hardly talk. I was like just ridiculous. It, and my fears proved true. I, was, I just absolutely did a dreadful job. And I thought I'd never want to do anything like that again. And, and so you avoid it, Right? You avoid anything that because fear has taught you something. Don't touch that stove. Don't get in front of people. Don't put yourself out there. And it rules your life. God wants to liberate your life from that. Um, you know, I never thought that I would, you know, spend uh, the most of my uh, uh, life speaking in front of people. Just, you know, if you, when I was 20 and you told me that, I'd say, <laughs> that'd be the last thing I'd do. Um, we used to play in a band, and we'd have to get hammered up to, to be able to go on, right? Because you'd be just nervous. And so this fear would lead you into, you know, bad ways of responding that were destructive and, and, and weren't giving life. They were just giving death. Uh, it says here, you didn't receive a spirit that makes you a, a slave again to fear, but the spirit of sonship. Um, you know, we all belong to a family. And, 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 and then you realize when you become a Christian that you belong to the family of God. And nothing probably in my whole life has grounded me like knowing that, of of knowing that I belonged to God, knowing that uh, the end of the book was a good ending and that the end of my life would have a good ending. And even though there's ups and downs all the way through, there's there's a confidence that belonging to the family of God gives us, that ought to bless us, we ought to enjoy. You know, it's for our joy. It's for our benefit it's for our well-being you know when you folks were singing and leading us in worship this morning there was a lot of joy and and there ought to be a lot of joy because we got something really to be uh, happy and excited about when I think of Romans chapter 8 to me it's like the freedom chapter like God doesn't want you to be a slave to fear he wants you to walk in freedom and what does it mean to walk in freedom well kind of unencumbered you know to throw off the weight and all that drags you down and 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 stand up and Uh, you know, the freedom of of being a child of God. I was telling you last week, I've been doing this exercising and, you know, moving and moving the joints, and I've been kind of, you know, spreading the message to people my age about, because, you know, everybody's getting all tied up and knotted up. And and, and it's a similar kind of thing. Like, God wants us to be released and, and free so that we're operating the way we're designed to operate, which is with a a gregariousness, a, a positiveness, a, a confidence that's not arrogance or pride, but it's just, we're just alive. That's what he wants us to be. Adopted. I, I was thinking this morning, and I can't remember, but I think it was two years ago, and it was one of Carol's girls, Carol Fitzgerald's girls, and Carol takes in girls, and, and some of them get adopted, and it was it two years ago, uh, and I can't remember her name, a little girl about 10. And she was adopted. And she stood up here and introduced her parents to her. Remember that? Who's that girl? Marissa? Yeah, yeah. And so she was up here, this 10 year old, beautiful girl, and her adoptive parents were up from the city to get her. And, and she brought them up. She said, Come on, no, come on up. And they come up, and she was just beaming. I could, I'll never forget that. This picture of adoption, like, and we were all rejoicing. Like, what an awesome thing that uh, these parents now have this girl, and these, this girl now has these parents. Awesome. This, this sense of happiness. Um, I think that's what the Lord wants us to feel like. He wants us to feel that we're welcomed into the family, and it's for our benefit. Um, the whole thing about adoption, when it comes to God, is it's based on something. And it's not based on um, performance. Uh, It's based on uh, what we call justification. Um, I got a slide there um, about justification. Now, just a a little plug on a book. Um, We're always reading books, and uh, as a board of elders and deacons, pastors in the church, we've been reading this. Uh, We talk about it at every board meeting. We're right. we're getting through her. Like, we're up to page, uh, I think, 187. And uh, there are, I don't know. Must be 75 doctrines in here. I mean, there's a, pile of, there's a pile of theology. There's not a whole lot of explanation, but there's a whole lot of scripture. And, and there's a whole lot of good stuff. It's by J.I. Packer, who's well-known. And if you want something about theology, but you don't want to read tons of stuff, this is a great little book. Concise Theology. Uh, and, and what he said in page 165, to be justified is to be eternally secure. And that's kind of what we're looking for in this world, is security. And, and you, know, you know that if you try to put your security in money, uh, it just might take wings and, 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 and you won't have what you thought you would have. If you want to put your security in relationships, well, relationships change. People come and people go. People live and people die. And, and and so it's just not enough to find your security in all your relationships. Really, what God is designed us to do is to find security in him. Security we can count on. Security we can go to bed and not be afraid of what tomorrow's going to bring because we know we're in the hands of God, that God's got us. And and that this isn't just for, you know, uh, tomorrow, but it's for eternity. Like, you know, thinking big, this is sort of the, the big picture, um, What is justification? It's an act of God. And what does God do? He kind of does uh, a couple of things, but basically he's pardoning us. You know, he put Jesus on the cross and judged Jesus for our sins. And when we respond to that and believe, the Bible says that we're pardoned. And so justification clears the way uh, for adoption. That's why we sing songs like In Christ Alone. In Christ Alone our hope is found. It's not in something else. It's not in that I go to church every day or that I read the Bible or or that I do these good things. It's in Christ alone. And that's what it depends on. It depends on him. And so my security, your security, depends on Jesus. It doesn't depend on you. Because, you know, we're not very secure in and of ourselves. Uh, Maybe we don't have a, a strong sense of Personal uh, worth or identity, so we don't feel very secure. Maybe you know our health is precarious, or different things are precarious, and so security is elusive. But if our security is in the rock, if our security is in the living God, then then we're all right. Um, that next uh, quote, uh, it's uh, also by J. A. Packer Justification clears the way for adoption. Adoption is the bestowal of relationship. So you're born into a family, and that's yes, forever, right? You, 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 can't, you don't get to choose your family. Um, but you do get to choose your, your in-laws or your outlaws. Um, so when I married into Glenda's family, it was a whole other family. And, um, yeah, for the most part, it's been pretty good. <laughs> no, actually, it's been really good. Their family took me in like I was one of their own. I I have uh, one sister uh, by birth, my my sister June, who's older than me. And then I have two more sisters, uh, Florence and Sandra, and they just feel like sisters to me. And they treat me like their brother. Only they're they're probably nicer to me because they're not that nice to Jerry. He's kind of a little brother. and (laughs) They make fun of him a lot. But but there's a relationship there that, that's a bestowal of relationship. When I said I do to Glenda, I was saying I do to, to the whole horde of Weatherbees. Like the pile of kids, like, like Glenda's become a family of seven, and then uh, we had a funeral here uh last week, her aunt, and and, and there were seven in that family, it's like the weatherbees just populated the world. Uh it's good. It's a good thing to belong to another family. And then when I became a, a believer, like I you know, I, I, I became uh, you know uh, friends. I, some of the people like Dave and Carolyn and, and Keith and Peggy, uh, Royce and Bev and uh, Jerry and Bonnie and uh, just people that have been. We've been friends forever. It seems like I came to Christ in 1981, and these people, uh, Brian and just people who've been here forever. Uh, you know, when I was uh, uh, Clint's age, Clint was this little guy. Well, he's never really a little guy. He's this young guy. You know, and he was dating Carrie, and they were part of our church. And, and it's just like when you're part of a, a church family, like it really does feel like family. It certainly does to me. I hope it does to you because that's what God's intention is, that you would feel like it's, it's part of a family. It's the bestowal of a relationship uh, that is forever. And then the, this other part, the Spirit of God um, testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And so the Holy Spirit testifies. If the Holy Spirit is in you, he's taken up residence in your spirit, you have this new spirit, and it's because the Holy Spirit caused its birth, that's what Jesus meant by being born again, then you have the spirit of God in you. And he testifies with your spirit. He agrees. There's an agreement now. I never used to have much agreement with God. I, I was afraid of God. I didn't want to talk about God, and and because whenever people brought up something about God, I just started feeling uneasy and queasy and guilty, and I wanted to run and hide. And 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 then when uh, you come to Christ, and and when people talk about God now, my ears perk up. I want to hear more. There's a, there's an agreement. There's an attraction. It's like kind of like a magnet. I'm just drawn to him. Uh, every morning when I wake up, it's like I wake up and, and, and it's you know because God's there and the, the you know the spring daylight floods in the window and it's like wow another day and and it's just this agreement uh, not just with life but with, with God. Um, I, like I said, I was I was saved in 1981 uh, and I was uh, you know justified. I kind of got got that. But I got to tell you, it took about it took about 10 years for the doctrine of justification and acceptance and adoption to go from my head down to my heart and, and change me deeply. And I can still remember the morning in 1981 uh, in Monroe Avenue, New Glasgow, waking up on a Monday morning and feeling 100% accepted by God. Now, I knew it intellectually, I could spout it off. I've been to Bible college, and I could write papers on it. But there's a difference between the intellectual knowing and the heart knowing. And, and I think for most Christians, I don't know what the timetable is for you, but it's a journey where you can stop operating out of a sense of owing God and paying a debt to God, and you start operating out of the sense of it's, it's settled. And, and the Bible calls it entering his rest. And really what happened is that God's rest entered me and just settled me. And I, 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 don't, I, I can have a hard time explaining what it was. It's just to simply say that I found his rest, the kind of rest he wanted for me. It says if we're children, then we're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. Uh, maybe you don't have a rich aunt. Most of my aunts are gone, and they didn't leave a whole lot, so we didn't have a rich aunt. Um, but... Um, you're an heir of God. And so, you know, this world puts all its security on, uh, on your retirement. There's um, a lot of commercials lately and the guy goes and he's talking to the guy. You know, you, um, you're making, uh, uh, you know, I'm not making much money here because, you know, uh, your fees are really high. And, uh, you know, you, and so are your profits. And so you guys are making all the money. I'm the, one, I'm the only one who's not making any money here. And the guy says, oh, don't worry. It's a long-term game. And... You know, he's got that smug look on his face because, yeah, he's making a lot of money off this guy. Um, that's really true, you know. If you're making 5% and, and the fee is 25 then you're only making 25 And then if the tax man takes a little of that, you're hardly making anything. You might as well go and stick it under the bed <laughs> for all you're making most times. And, 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 and you, you know, if that's your security, it's, not, it's pretty shaky, um, you know, uh, people talk about me and, and, and my retirement, and we have this big retirement. Like, we don't have any big retirement. We don't have any big fund. Um, but I'm not really worried about it. Um, and one of the reasons is this. In the Old Testament, God chose the tribe of Levi to serve him. Instead of taking the firstborn from every family to serve him, to serve the temple and all that, he took the tribe of Levi. And he didn't give them any land. Everybody else got land except Levi, and, and then the Lord said this about Levi, I am their inheritance, and I just took that personally as, as, as somebody who signed up and said, you know, I'll just spend my life serving you, that the Lord's my inheritance, and I don't know, it just kind of got me. I got a grip on that, and he got a grip on me, and I just don't worry about it. Because the Lord's going to look after me. And that goes for anybody. You could have a million dollars in the bank for your retirement. And it could all be gone. Because that's not really where your security is. You know, the Lord is your shepherd. The Lord's the one that looks after you. Um, We are heirs. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings. In order that we may share in his glory. And that's sort of like a shift in Paul's thinking here. Now he's going to talk about suffering. And he's saying, you know, uh, if you're going to share in his glory, then you better expect to be sharing in his sufferings. So let's read the next portion, uh, verse uh, 18 uh, through 27. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. That's kind of an interesting way. Basically, he's saying, I'm not even going to talk about it. Because it just pales in comparison to what's coming. So instead of talking about my suffering and, and, and all the problems I've got, I'm just going to talk about all that awaits me because it's just a whole lot better to talk about. And, you know, I think as Christians we do well to do that if we would focus more on what's coming instead of what's been because we tend to talk a lot about suffering. So let's put it into perspective. Paul says, listen, I know it's bad, but it's got nothing compared to what's coming, and we need to have that perspective. Verse 19, the creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. What a tremendous, tremendous passage. This is a very, uh, it ought to settle some theological issues for us. Um you know, there's this idea of the creation groaning in and in, in frustration. And you know, I just think of all the corruption. I don't even watch and things lately about the, the ocean and all the plastic in the ocean. And people are diving and there's all this plastic floating through the ocean. It's more pla- it's like fish, only it's plastic. And it's, I watch this thing and there's this there's this tortoise, you know, or a tur- sea turtle. And he had a great big um, uh straw up his nose. And, and the guy pulled it out, and it was you know, kind of messy. I'm, I'm sure the sea turtle was glad to get that straw out of his nose. What's a, what's a straw doing up a sea turtle's nose? Well, it's got all this corruption going on, uh, air, water, uh, just death everywhere. This stuff is leading to our death. And if you read the book of Revelation, ecological disaster is coming. And I don't care what they try to do and shutting down pipelines and, and cleaning up the air. It's going to come because we've already kind of suffocated it and it says the creation is subject to frustration i know many of us are frustrated frustrated with the way things are going politically and culturally and and all that the world can be a depressing place um the other week there a a a guy in new york city a lawyer set himself on fire to protest global warming. and when they come and found him, all they found was this. he was he was all burnt up what, what does it take to set yourself on fire like Man, that's pretty frustrating, frustrating if you have to do that. And I was thinking about this, you know, how frustrated everybody is. You know, everybody's frustrated, Christians, non-Christians. And I was thinking, well, you know, if, um, if you're an atheist and you believe evolution is true, you shouldn't be frustrated. Right? You shouldn't be frustrated. You believe in the survival of the fittest and, you know, dog eat dog. And, and you know, uh, this is what you ought to expect a completely corrupt, chaotic, out-of-control world. So you shouldn't be frustrated at all if you're an atheist. You should be good with it because it just fits right in with your perception of what's true. But you're not good with it. And the reason you're not good with it is because you're built to hope. See, it says here, um, the creation is subjected to frustration, not by its own choice. We didn't choose it. But by the will of the one who subjected it. Who is that? Well, that's God. God. So people want to blame God, well, yeah, I guess they can. Because God subjected it in hope. So you have, a, you have a choice of God. You can either blame God and see where that gets you, or you can get with the program and try to understand God and try to realize that you're under his thumb, whether you're a believer or not. You belong to him. You draw breath because he wills it. And if you don't like the program of God, then you're in big trouble because that's the only program there is. There's no other program but the program of God. And the fact is that we are built to hope. Even the atheist who has no valid reason to believe there's going to be any hope because of the, his doctrine of evolution and survival of the fittest, he's built to hope because people have, God has put that in us. atheism also criticizes Christianity because they say, you can't know what beliefs are right and wrong. Your belief in what's right and wrong is wrong. How do they know ours is wrong? I guess they must know theirs is right. How do they know that? If we can't know ours is right, how do they know theirs is right? They can't. They can't know theirs is right any more than we can know ours is right. The atheism has to play by the same rules. And usually what they do is they set themselves up As authority, and all these lesser beings, they just kind of cast us out that that we don't know, and they practice the same kind of faith that we do. They have to choose what they're going to believe as well. Verse 23, we know the whole creation has been groaning. Do you do a lot of groaning? Do you do a lot of groaning? Come on, of course you do a lot of groaning. You groan about the weather. You know, it's finally going to warm up this week, and, and you're happy. But how much groaning did we do the last two months? You know, we were really positive in February. It was so mild. It was one day it was 16, and it's going to be great. And then you just have this typical March, April that we always get. It's like plus two and windy at least. It's not very pleasant. And we groaned and moaned. And, you know, what was I reading? Uh, you know, um, you know, Mother, Mother Nature doesn't know that spring showed up because the Leafs are still playing hockey. <laughs> you know? People, people love to have a laugh, eh? Right? We groan. We groan. And, and it says, um, we know the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. I, I've never had the pains of childbirth, but if I did, I'd be groaning because I'm pretty sure it'd be worth groaning about. Um, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit We groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the the redemption of our bodies. You know what it means to have the first fruit of the Spirit? It's a foretaste of the future. That's what it is. You get to taste the things of God. One day we're going to taste them in full, but you get to taste them in part. And so you have a foretaste of what's coming. And so I think it's going to be pretty good. Because if, if what we have right now is you know, being forgiven and no longer slaves to fear and, and new life and, and the power of God and testified by the Spirit that we're the children of God and, and we're heirs of God and we have all this hope, that's pretty good. I can't wait to get all of it because part of it, that's pretty good. I, it's it's going to be great. Um, then it says we ought to wait confidently and, and patiently. We, we groan eager inwardly as we wait eagerly. For in this hope we were saved, but who, the hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. We ought to measure ourselves by that if we're waiting patiently. I mean, we've got a lot of reason to groan, but is that how we come across? Are we always groaning and complaining? Well, we shouldn't because the things that we're groaning about aren't worth comparing to the things that are coming. And we've got a foretaste of that. Verse 26, just in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit's always doing all of this, right? He helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray about. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. You know, sometimes you just don't know what to pray for. Sometimes you just don't know where you're at. Water all over the place here. And, 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 and you know, the trouble comes and, like, your heart's broken. And, 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 and But yet there's an assurance here. There's the, the Spirit of God. You know what he's doing? He's taking that heart of yours, and he's taking it to Jesus. He's saying, "This poor sinner doesn't doesn't know what to say, but I know what to say. I know what he needs." And and it's not, um, he's not you know, whining in prayer. It, it, it's it's inaudible. It's something spiritual. And it, shouldn't, it should give us a confidence that even when, you know, we're at our worst, you know, the spirit of God's at his best. And he's, he's interceding for us and praying for us and bringing uh, what we need to Christ and to the Father. He who searches our hearts knows the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. I think that's why we make progress. I don't think we make progress because you know we're obedient so much as we or we know what to pray about. We just make progress because the Spirit of God is bringing us along. He's moving us along, and it gives us it should give us a confidence that we're that we're in His grip. And then you come to this last part, which I used up too much time for the first part, but I always do that. Um, but you don't mind, <laughs> do you? Uh, we know. That in all things God works for the good. For those who love him. For those who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew. He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son. That he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined he also called. Those he called he also justified. Those he justified he also glorified. This is just an awesome bit of theology here. And uh, you know it says God works for good. Uh, for those who love him so that no matter what happens to you even though it seems bad God's got a way to work it out for good and sometimes that we just don't understand that we just have to trust him um, the, the truth is that God's in control God is in control we sing it we we tell each other and when something really bad happens we have to be reminded that God is in control no matter how bad it is the, the devil is not out of control the devil's on God's leash. He's got a leash on him. And he can't do more than God allows him to do. The Bible says God's thoughts are higher and his ways are higher than our ways so we can trust him. And it says here, those God foreknew. That's the who. God, God foreknew. Uh, prognostico. Uh, elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. Uh, God just didn't know who was going to believe. God foreknew who was going to believe. I don't really understand that. But I know that that's what the Bible teaches. In other words, when God, you might foreknow something. You might foreknow that if you drive 140 or 150 on the way home, you might get stopped. And you might be, you might be right. That's not foreknowledge. When God foreknows something, he knows it. He causes it. He determines it. He plans it. And so that's the Who? Who God foreknew. The predestination is the what. So predestination is pro horizon it's a horizon. We are predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's the goal. The who is the elect, according to the foreknowledge of God. The goal is predestined to be conformed with the image of his son. So what the Lord is saying here, you just stick with me and I'll make you like my son. You just stick with me and the Holy Spirit will keep working. And you can just trust me that I'm going to bring everything that is bad and evil coming into your life. I'm going to make something good out of it. And in the end, you're going to get to go to heaven. And it's going to be awesome. And that's this sense of trust. We need to build our lives on that. And then he says he called. He called. Kaleo, an invitation we can't refuse. We call that the effectual calling. It's like someday, one day the light just dawned. You know, the light come on and you realize that, that what God said was true. And, you know, maybe you're here and, and the light hasn't come on yet. Or, or maybe you're expecting the light to, to, to you know God to just do something really big. Maybe God's just gonna do something small in your life, but he's gonna give you some light and he wants you to respond to it uh justified Uh, diaku. it doesn't mean just to acquit or declare innocent that's part of it the other part is you're given the righteousness of christ what an awesome thing that all that jesus was in the eyes of god god now puts on us all the sin that was on us he put on him and all the righteousness that was on him he put on us wow that, that ought to give us a lot of confidence. That ought to, like, adoption? We're, like, we're treated like Jesus in, in the eyes of God. Um, and those that he justified, he also glorified. A glori- a doxa, glory, exalted to a position of honor, uh, experiencing the excellence of God. Eye is not seen or ear heard or is entered into the heart of man What God is prepared for those that love him. Uh, when we had Sandra McLean's funeral a couple weeks ago, um, and Florence's aunt and Jerry's aunt uh, um, she had just started coming to church here in the last several months and and, and passed away believer in Jesus loved the Lord Jesus Christ and and uh, Barry Reed saying uh, uh, I can only imagine and that's what we could do we can only imagine when he was singing that and there was a picture and I was just kind of I just got kind of transfixed I, I just kind of got just a wee glimpse of Wee glimpse. You know, I I thought about my daughter and I thought I can only imagine when I get to see her again. I trust God I'm gonna get to see her again. I can't even can hardly even imagine. So all I want all you can say about this is this salvation begins and ends with God. It begins with God, doesn't begin with us, it begins with Him, and it ends with Him. And all we are called to do is respond. Just believe. Just give your life to Christ. Confess you're a sinner and say, okay, I'm going to believe it. I'm going to exercise faith. I'm going to come to Christ. That's what he wants you to do. Uh, Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? You know what that word for is in Hebrew? Hyper. What a neat word. I didn't know for was hyper. God is hyper for us. He's over and above and beyond for us. Like when something's hyper, it's pretty extreme. And when the Bible says God is for us, he's hyper for us. It's pretty extreme. There's just, he, he's just kind of got a hold of us. And, and who can be against us? When somebody's against you, the word here is kata. It's to be down on you. Who can be down on you? Well, sometimes people are down on you. But it doesn't matter because God's for you. That's way more than God... Then then if somebody could be against you, who can compete with God? God said he's for you. He's hyper for you. Hallelujah. Um, If he gave us, um, did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? My gosh, what else could he do? What more could he do than give us Jesus Christ? Verse um, 33, who will bring any charge? Against those whom God has chosen. Now the word calling is kaleo. Calling of God. And this word charge is enkaleo, kaleo. Which means can somebody outcall God? Can somebody condemn you if God says he accepts you? Can someone say you're no good if God says you're, you're, he's made you holy? Like you've got a lot of people and a lot of things against you. Um, you get an accuser you know there's a there's a the devil's called the accuser, and you got the devil trying to accuse you. you you might you might accuse yourself a lot, and maybe before you became a christian it was you were you were worthy of all that accusation because you were a sinner, and then when you come to christ and 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 you become adopted and you come justified and adopted in the family of God, and all that accusation's gone, but yet there's this nattering voice in the background people want to tell you how lousy you are and what a failure you are and you're no good and, and you're this and you're that and you the other thing. You can't listen to that anymore. You've got to start listening to God and stop listening. And if you're an accuser, stop accusing people. I, I, I do that pretty easily. I can do that. I will I can say stuff or think of saying stuff or think stuff about other people and it's just being accusing. Oh, who am I to accuse anybody? We do that. we got to stop doing that. We've got to stop accusing people. Start blessing people. Uh, Don, do you have that other um, quote there from Packer? Um, That next one. No, the one after that, please. Salvation does not, never ever will it depend on what we will do. It will never be imperiled by what we fail to do because if it begins with god and ends with god you know we're he just wants us to respond in faith and then get with the program so a lot of the things that we're afraid about worry about the lord is just saying look just relax just enjoy being a believer just enjoy me i've got a hold of you and there's nothing that anybody can do um uh, who uh who is verse 34? Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, moreover, the more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. Well, that's a lot of stuff. There's a lot of negative stuff. There's a lot of hardship. But as it is written, for your sakes we face death all day long. We're considered as sheep for the, the slaughter. You may think that's what it's like, but Paul says, no, verse 37, all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. More than conquerors. That's got another hyper word. Uh, Hypernikeo is more than conquerors. So he's just not conquering. It's like thoroughly conquered to go beyond conquering. Uh, it's like a multiple Stanley Cup winner. They just didn't win it once. They won it multiple times. The the way that God's got a hold of us, it's just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied. And when you think the world and the flesh and the devil are against you and people are against you, and yet if you belong to Christ, he is for you to the complete, utter end, no matter what you can think. Uh, In all these things, we are more than conquerors. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, even demons... A demon can't touch you. You trust God. You bring everything to to Jesus Christ. Demons can't touch that. Nor angels, nor demons, nor the present. No matter what happens today. Or the future. It doesn't matter what happens tomorrow. Nor any powers. Nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And, you know, when I talk about being rooted, and it says in Colossians 2.7, about being rooted in him. And that's that rest that I was talking about. These things need to become rooted in us as believers. Like, God wants us to allow these things to get hold of us and change us. Because when we do, you know, we take pressure off ourselves. We, We stop demanding so much from other people. We become more gracious to other people. We become kinder, we become more hopeful, and that's what the world wants to see out of the church. Is we can't act like the world. It's not fitting for the children of God to act like the world. We've got to, we've got to act in a such a way that we really have hope. I, there's, I got one more quote there um, from uh, Moody, the Moody uh, Bible Commentary. So read, just look at this. It is inconceivable that a true believer who at times might not be able to keep his own shoelaces tied or balance his own checkbook, back when people had checkbooks, could undo the eternal purposes of God. That include his foreknowledge and their glorification. The believer is not nearly that powerful, nor the Spirit and the Savior so incompetent. I like that. Who do we think we are that we can change the purposes of God? That we can somehow, you know, uh, not, you know, God's somehow not going to finish what he started in us. That somehow all the negative things that can happen in life are somehow uh, describing everything and there's really no hope for the future. Who do we think we are that we can do that? We just need to step back and say, God, you're in charge. Right from foreknowledge to glory. You're in charge of my life, and I can have confidence in God. I think more than anything, he just wants us to trust him. He's worthy of our trust. If you're here today, and this is all kind of uh, strange to you, and well, trusting Jesus Christ and, and something like that, um, you got to trust something. You know, you, you believe in evolution, you're going to trust in evolution, that that's got all the answers, and, you know, uh, that you can do whatever you want, and at the end of your days, it won't matter because... Because you believe in evolution, and, and uh, you don't believe in God, and, and you're just going to die, and that's the end of it. Right? And you can believe that. But you might be wrong. What if you're wrong about that? That would be the worst thing to be wrong about, wouldn't it? That there's no God. It's because you have a bad opinion of God, being afraid of God, because you blame God. Because you expect things ought to be better. And the reason you expect things ought to be better is God, God built into you the expectation that things ought to be better. Because without God, you've got no reason to expect that things ought to be better. And so the, the simple message of the gospel is this. You know, God subjected the, the, the world to the way the world is in hope. And what he did is he put his son on the cross to open the way back to God. He put your sin and mine on the the back of his son, Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ died on the cross to open up the way for humanity to be related to God again. And you can believe that just as easily as you believe the other. You just have to choose. And yeah, it does mean you need to submit yourself to the rule of God. You need to acknowledge him as God. So I guess the other question is, it's either him as God or you, and I don't think you're gonna. I don't think you're cut out to be God. I certainly know I'm not. I can't do anything. I can't do anything but tomorrow. I have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow, but I know this: God knows everything that's going to happen tomorrow. And that's the God you need to get a hold of. That's the God who wants to get a hold of you, he wants to get you in His grip. I love His grip, man. Grip me, God. <laughs> grip me hard. Grip me deep. Let's stand for prayer. Lord, uh, we just thank you for this tremendous uh, passage of Scripture. Um, Goodness, Lord, we could hardly even scratch the surface of all that's in this passage. Um, And, Lord, I know that one of the things you want to do with every one of us is it's got to be a personal grasping here, Lord. This is a journey through life where you want us to know deep down what it means to be a child of God. You want us to have that kind of hope, that you've instilled in us because there's a a hope that has reality. You want us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you love us, that you're there for us, that you're for us, so it doesn't matter who's against us, that nothing will separate us from the love of God. So Lord, we just thank you for these things. I pray for each believer here that uh, Lord, we just allow you to get a tighter grip on us and that we would get a tighter grip on you and I pray for anyone here who's not sure about you and their need for you, Lord, that uh, you would speak to their hearts. I pray the light would come on, And that, Lord, without you, we've got nothing. So bless our hearts and our lives, our families. And, Lord, may we represent you well this week. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.